In uh, 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul testifies to us that he, the least among us, yet the greatest of sinners, received a particular mercy from God. And th that mercy made him a pattern to all those who would believe. In other words, God realized that we need to know Christ, the incarnated, crucified, resurrected, ascended, enthroned God-man, who is not only the only begotten Son, but also the firstborn Son, and as such is the prototype for all of us in him to become mature sons of God. Amen. This is Christ himself, the unique person, wonderful person. But God in his wisdom realized that all of us sinners saved by grace we're all the same. No one is higher, no one is lower. We're all the same. We had no hope outside of Christ Jesus. He died for us. The gospel was announced to us. Faith was infused into us. We responded, we received, we were forgiven, we were cleansed, we were regenerated. But God wanted to take a certain person and work on him relentlessly and unsparingly and thoroughly to make him a pattern to all of us. Let's remember that this person, when he was Saul of Tarsus, wanted to destroy the church Christ purchased with his blood and killed the Christians. He fully agreed with Stephen's being stoned to death. And in the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council, again and again, he voted for the death penalty. Then in Acts 9, He's not satisfied with persecuting in Jerusalem, so he got the authority to go to another city to find those there calling on the Lord's name. Not hard to find him, find them. You just keep your ears open. And you find happy people enjoying the Lord, calling on his name. Amen. And Acts 9 tells us. He was breathing out murder. In John 8, 44, the Lord himself said, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. For him to breathe out murder means that was an element in his being. He was a devil man. So God took this kind of 
degraded person and made him a pattern of what a believer in Christ looks like as she or he experiences Christ, enjoys Christ, is constituted with Christ, grows in Christ, and eventually becomes full-grown in Christ. What does it look like? And what kind of experiences do we have? But the underlying thought is this. If God can do this in Saul of Tarsus, he can do this in anybody. I don't think in this whole month of August you've breathed out murder even one time, right? You have not tried to destroy any churches to arrest and persecute and imprison believers. So here we have this person showing us if we learn of him, not to imitate him. Imitations are always false. But to just walk in the same steps and gradually advance in the subject of our conference, experiencing and enjoying the all-inclusive, experiencing and enjoying Christ as the all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent one. And the major burden of the four messages is really quite simple. And the burden doesn't place any obligation on you. The burden is that in these meetings, the spirit of reality would touch every one of us, and guide us into more reality concerning the all-inclusive Christ so that we would leave here seeing more of Christ, knowing more of him, experiencing him, enjoying him, and having the longing to just live our entire human life Whatever the situation is, physically, socially, spiritually, whatever it is, we go through our human life outwardly in union with this wonderful Christ. Now, part of Paul's pattern, I believe, is this. We see in him a person who was not just extremely religious, almost fanatically religious. And I'll read some portions from Galatians to illustrate this. But when he met Christ, his whole background was shattered and his religion, his culture, ultimately himself, were replaced by this wonderful person. And he didn't 
switch religions. He didn't initiate a religion about Jesus. There is no element of religion remaining in him at all. There is simply Christ himself, a person. And not merely a teaching concerning Christ, although we must start here. We're not ashamed of that. We start here. And so even when he was in prison, as described in Philippians 3, and was very mature, he said, I haven't arrived. I don't consider myself that I have arrived. I'm forgetting the things that are behind. I'm stretching forward. I'm pursuing. And so... May the Lord just keep your conscience at ease so you don't condemn yourself, but we need to consider honestly in the Lord's presence to what extent every day we are stretching forward, pursuing, actively pursuing Christ with our whole being. Well, Paul was like that because Christ made him like that. And so I have a very simple prayer for myself and for all the believers all over the earth. Make me, make us just like him. I'm not going to promise from now on I'll pursue you and stretch forward. By Tuesday at 4 p.m., it's all gone. Consecration is not making promises that you can't fulfill, although you have a good heart. Consecration is giving yourself to the Lord, allowing him to work in you. So in Acts 9, most of us know, Paul was on his way to persecute more believers. And God did not send a super strong apostle whose intellect would match Paul's and would engage him in debate. The Lord used another approach. He caused Saul to see a light brighter than the sun. I assure you, there's no argument with light. And the Lord was revealed to him and shined into him. So spontaneously, he asked, Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Then when Saul asked, What should I do, Lord? The Lord deliberately withheld that. He said, go into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. Because Paul, we'll call him that now, met not only Jesus, the Savior, he met the corporate Christ, the body Christ. And so listen to what happened. This is the Lord appearing 
to Ananias. Starting with that, verse 15 in Acts 9. The Lord is speaking, but the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is chosen to bear my name. He's chosen to just testify of my person. I'm going to send him, right, before both the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how matter of things he must suffer on behalf of my name. And Ananias went away and entered into the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Saul, brother, the Lord has sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you. So the same Jesus who appeared to Paul appeared to a brother, Ananias. So we need to meet the Lord directly ourselves. And then we need to be willing to meet the Lord in any and every member of the body of Christ. And to recognize the authority represented by that member and the portion of Christ with that member. And so Paul did exactly what he was told. And Ananias said, rise up now and be baptized. Oh, by the way, when you're being baptized, we want to hear you calling on the name of the Lord. While you're standing in the water and we're praying, you will be calling on his name. We'll submerge you, we'll raise you up, and you keep calling again. Then, in Galatians, where Paul is now combating the, in, the invasion of religion into the churches in Galatia, contaminating, corrupting the sincerity and purity of their experiences. This is what he says, Paul, in chapter 1, starting at verse 11. For I make known to you, brothers, concerning the gospel announced by me, that it is not according to man, for neither did I receive it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation by Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my manner of life formerly in Judaism, that I persecuted the church of God excessively and ravaged it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond my contemporaries in my race, being more abundantly zealous. But when it pleased God 
to reveal his son in me, that I might announce him as the gospel concerning the Gentiles. So here he is. He was very ambitious in his religion, exercised to the uttermost. Then he met the Lord. And what did he do was to announce the person. That's all. Now going back to Acts chapter 9, let me just find it here. This is what Paul did. Verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue that this one is the Son of God. And then in verse 22, but Saul was all the more empowered. And then declared, he was preaching, preaching, this one is the Christ. So he started, he didn't say, I have some new thought, I have some new theology. I, I, I have met a person. And I will boldly speak concerning this person. He is the Christ. Stop waiting. The Christ has come. You expected him to lead a political revolution and restore the kingdom to Israel. But he came to fulfill Isaiah 53. This one is the Christ. This one is the Son of God. So what happened? The first of many attempts by the religious people to kill him. So they set guards at all the exits, all the doors in the wall. But Paul was in the body. So the brothers must have had the Lord's leading. They'll say, this is what we'll do. At night, I don't know when it was, let's say two in the morning, we'll put you in a basket and lower you down over the wall. And so he wrote his 14 epistles. And we thank the Lord that in his sovereignty, he measures out to the members of his body what their function is, what their portion is. He is the head. He has all authority. He has the right to do this. And he decided a little over 100 years ago to, to go to China and to raise up a minister of the age with a vision of the age in a man called Watchman Nee. And then to bring in coordination with him another man known as Witness Lee. We are not a denomination. We are not Neites. We are not Leeites. But we testify without reluctance and without shame. Brother Lee had the measure 
the portion and the function to open the entire Bible in the way of Christ's life and the Spirit. Amen. So he opened up book after book. I spent 24 years of my life putting into print the messages he gave in what's called the life study of the scriptures. And one of these trainings in the 70s and 80s, the trainings were 10 days long. He gave three messages a day. I don't know how he did it. He wasn't a young'un, but he just did it. And he opened up Colossians. This marvelous. Then this is what happened. He told us himself. After he gave those 30 messages, the Lord came to him and said, what about the experiences? You didn't speak much about the experience. So he gave more than 30 more messages on the experience of Christ. And uh, to a certain extent, this is just a fact, it's not a boast. But when I began in April 1974, yes, some of us were alive in 1974. <laughs> and I began to, to work and learn how to work under Brother Lee. A verse came up. And I claim this verse. It's in the Old Testament, but Paul applies it twice in the New Testament. Do not muzzle the ox as he is treading out the grain. So I told the Lord, this is what I'm going to be doing now every day. I'm just going round and round and round treading out the grain of the life study messages, but I claim nibbling rights. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to eat, digest, assimilate, and be constituted with all that I'm working on. So I just kept going round and round. And then the sovereign Lord in the fall of, in the winter training of 1994, indicated to the ox, it's time for the ox to start flying around all over the earth. So the ox came to be with you. Okay. And so, how do we know what the subject of a conference should be? or the general subject of one of the feasts, the source is God the Father. God the Father is our only source. We don't recognize any other source. The human mind is not the source. Human creativity is not the source. Human preference is not the source. Subjective human feelings, not the source. It's so simple. We just come like a little child and wait on the Father with the desire, Father, whatever your will is, whatever you want, 
That's what we'll do. And so, in a certain situation, and the Lord used uh, not an easy environment, but he realized I needed that environment for him to get through. He gave us this general subject, experiencing and enjoying Christ as the all-inclusive, extensive, and preeminent one. So the four messages are all from Colossians. Colossians is the highest revelation of Christ in the entire New Testament. Let me just speak freely without trying to quote verses word by word. We are in the kingdom of the Son of God's love. Christ is the image, the visible expression of the invisible God. The entire universe, how many millions of light years is it, was created in him, through him, and unto him. And everything is held together in him. One day, all things cohere, cohere in him. The Lord applied this to me in an encouraging way. And I just said, Lord, you're holding, up, you're holding the whole universe together. Whatever happens to me, you will hold me together too. So I don't have to try with my will to kind of get through everything. I'm just going to let you be who you are and do what you do. And then Paul tells us that in God's creation, Christ has the first place. Because humanly, he put on a human body that's a creature. So he's not created as God. That's impossible. And then he's the firstborn in resurrection. Christ is in us as the hope of glory. He's the reality of every positive thing. He's the constituent of the one new man. And he is our life. And at one point... We may touch on this tomorrow. We'll see. Paul says, put on the inward parts of Christ Jesus. You need to enter into the depths of his being and allow him to reside in the depths of your being, to know him personally, intimately, in his feelings, in his longings. So on the one hand, we have this tremendous, vast, universal revelation of the all-inclusive Christ. In chapter 1, verse 12, the portion of the saints, that refers to the type of the land of Canaan, the type of the all-inclusive Christ. And then we see in Colossians 1, 27, Christ 
in you. The hope of glory. Then in the following verse, Paul says, I'm laboring to present everyone full grown in Christ. So we have Christ in us and we are in Christ. In chapter 9, Paul says Christ is the mystery of God. God is a mystery in himself, but in Christ alone, God is revealed and made known. In him, Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. The fullness of the Godhead is in him. Then he says this, and you are made full in him. So this should increasingly be our experience that we are experiencing Christ, enjoying Christ, being constituted with Christ, and filled with him. Then we start a new day in simplicity. Lord, I want to experience you, enjoy you, be constituted with you, be filled with you. And on one level, which is necessary for our whole life, we are pursuing him personally. Lord, I want to be a full-grown, mature believer when I meet you. I want to be mature. And Paul is struggling for this. And I want to agree with this. Then eventually the Lord touches you and you realize, yes, Lord, I want to gain you personally, but Lord, I want to gain you for the saints, for the churches, for all of your people. I want to be able to minister you, to dispense you. And then in the church life, we live a life of mutual ministry. Just to bring in a parallel thought regarding this matter of mutuality. Brother Lee gave some messages on what he called the new revival. An unprecedented revival. So it's not a repetition of history. It will be a new kind of revival that will end the age and bring the Lord back. Something will happen corporately in so many of us. And he listed three aspects of it. The first is the high peak of the divine revelation that in Christ, God became man so that in Christ, we believers may become God, not in the Godhead, just take it easy, not as an object of worship, but also in life and nature for his expression. This is very normal. Human parents produce little human beings. And they are the same as their parents in life and nature. Well, God is our father and we're born of him. So we have his life and nature, but not his fatherhood and not his godhood. Then the second aspect is the God-man living corporately that we all learn to set aside ourselves, our natural life, 
and let Christ live in us and we live him and express him. Then the third is what I was aiming at, shepherding in mutuality. And if we see this, it will shatter the clergy-laity system, which fully deserves to be demolished. Because all of us are sheep, and all of us are shepherds. So to help the trainees, the dear young early 20-somethings in Anaheim, begin to appreciate this point, I asked them two questions, but the first is just to lay the, to open the way for the second. I asked them, do you think I can shepherd you? And surely, you got this man old enough to be their grandpa who has been around for a while, but what's precious to me is the second question. Do you realize that you can shepherd me? You have a portion of Christ that I don't have. The Lord is giving you something fresh from the word he didn't give to me. So I don't care what your background is, what your educational level is. You're my brother, you're my sister. And when we have, starting about, um, we're gonna be here to 12.30, so starting about 12 or 12.05, we'll give opportunity for many to speak. That's not a formality. That is you finishing the message. That is you shepherding me. I spend 75 minutes sharing something. How about you take 60 seconds and you share something? If we touch this, we're in an, a realm outside of organized Christianity. So now let's go through outline one. Christ, the centrality and universality <coughs> <laughs> of the divine economy. Uh, actually, the cough is a good sign that the congestion is breaking up, so don't panic, don't worry. <laughs> so this will want you to be at ease. I feel just fine. Amen. And the more I speak, the more life is flowing. The more I look at you, the more inspired I am. Amen. Well, what do we mean by economy? The Greek word is oikonomia. So we have an English parallel, even in the letters. And that Greek word means house law. And that refers to the way someone would just take care of the household. All the principles that govern the operation of the household to feed everyone, clothe everyone, protect everyone, supply everyone. So the divine economy is God's plan and arrangement to carry out his purpose by dispensing himself in Christ as the spirit 
into you. And Christ is the centrality and the universality of this economy. So if you can imagine a big wheel, you have the hub, that's the center. And the rim, that would be the centrality, the universality. And you have the spokes connecting the hub to the rim. Well, the Bible uses the image of a wheel, like in Ezekiel 1, for God's move on the earth. So in this move, Christ is the center, the centrality. No one, no thing, no matter can be allowed to replace him. He is the center. And he will operate in us in his shepherding care to do whatever he needs to do actually in us to change what, what until now has been your center. And just to be rather direct, the center of everyone outside of Christ is the self. The self is the center. And anything that's related to the self is important to the self. Things that are not related to the self, the self has no interest in. There could be tremendous suffering somewhere. Doesn't bother me. But the Lord will work in us to replace the self as the center. We'll see this in message two, how he does this. And gradually, Christ will be the center. Then he is the rim. He's the universality. He is everything. And he is the spokes, the aspects that join the center to the circumference. So this is what happened to Paul. He was recentered radically, not just superficially, at the core of his being. Judaism was no longer the center with the self empowering it. The center was a person not a religion about Christ, but Christ himself, the person, is the center. And this process began, although none of us knew it at the time, because it's rather mysterious. When we were regenerated, Christ, as the life-giving spirit, passed through our mind, through our heart, and reached our spirit and caused our human spirit to be born of God. And from that point on, our spirit with Christ living there is our real 
person. Before that, your soul, with all of its characteristics, and the self permeating it, that was your person. But Paul could eventually say, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm gone. It is Christ who lives in me. So now there's another center. In the life which I now live, I live in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now I am living not from my soul or myself as the center, but from Christ in my spirit as the center. And this is quite a long process. We go through it gradually. Because we're a big family, the family of God, we're in different stages, and so we just care for everyone where they are. Okay, Roman 1. The Christ unveiled in Colossians is the centrality and universality of God's economy. Colossians reveals the all-inclusive Christ, the one who is God, man, and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. As I was walking here with my wife and several others, Inwardly, silently, I was talking to the Lord. Lord, you are my health. You are my strength. You are my person. You are my life. You are my rest. You are my peace. You are my protection. This is Christ, he's God with all the divine attributes, man with all the human virtues, and the reality of every positive thing in the universe. So you see a tree that actually exists, but the real tree is Christ as the tree of life. The real waterfall is Christ just pouring the spirit on you and refreshing you and reviving you. One day, this will be real to you. I don't know what will happen if you're alone in your room. You may be leaping. You may be dancing. When the Lord shows you, I am the reality of every positive thing. B, for Christ to be the firstborn of both the original creation and the new creation means that he is both all-inclusive and extensive. So all-inclusive is every positive thing. He's the reality of that. Then in Ephesians, he's described as, what are his dimensions? Length. Breadth, height, depth. If I try to think of the vastness of the universe, I get vertigo in about 10 seconds. It's just astounding. Millions of light years. Okay, why 
God created such a huge universe, I don't know. But I shared with him, I do have a thought. I think you did this as a type to show, to indicate the infinity of God, the vastness of God. So wherever you would go, if you could go on a journey a thousand light years away, Christ would be there. So this Christ is just universally vast, yet he's inside of you. He's in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And so the extensive Christ is the Christ who is more vast than the universe and who is everything to us. Now we have a very good song in our hymnal. Da 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 da. Okay, no, he's, he's everything to me. Okay, we should sing it as it is written for inspiration. But I cannot honestly stand here and say, experientially, practically, and actual, actually, Christ is everything to me. If I would say that, the Spirit in me immediately would say, Ron, in this, in this, and this, when you said that, you were you to you. And so I'm learning. We can declare the vision that he's everything to us. But if we think that is actually the situation, probably there's one or two people in your environment that might disagree with that assessment, okay? Especially if you're a married brother, probably you've realized this. If you're newly married, you will, and you'll get beyond it. She discerns everything and will remember everything. So just let it be, accept, accept it, and take that as a blessing for you to realize how much you need Christ. But we're going to end up this way. He will be everything. Small two, Christ the Savior in whom we believe is limitless and inexhaustible. Since he is without limitation, the revelation concerning him must also be without limit. That's why we have Colossians. The revelation must match what he is. But experientially, he's inexhaustible. About a week ago, a brother shared with me and my wife a very touching testimony. I inquired of a certain brother in Texas I've known for many years, a faithful brother, now in his 80s, and recently his dear wife went to be with the Lord, and she had multiple sclerosis for a very, very long time. And one brother was on his way to see her husband to get some fellowship about something, but then he saw his wife in her wheelchair in the car, and the husband was working on the ramp to roll it out. And so 
He asked her, sister so-and-so, what are you doing here, just sitting here? And she said, gaining Christ. Gaining Christ. Isn't that touching? Here she is, limited for so long. But she didn't go through that human suffering, just relying on her will, her strength. But she finished the course full of Christ, mature in Christ. And so, we don't know. We're not exempt from all the common human sufferings. But what a difference when inwardly and outwardly, whatever our situation is, we let Christ be our person, our life. We experience him. Then that brother, he, then he told the brother who brought him there, I don't need to see brother so-and-so. My need has already been met by the sister who said, I'm just gaining Christ. She never wrote an article for affirmation and critique. She never gave a message in a feast. But how she ministered Christ in two words, in two words. If we are really in a blending spirit, during the two days we're here. And just be willing to interact with anyone. We will impart Christ to one another. We will be Ananias to one another. See, Christ is the preeminent one. The one who has the first place in everything. Both in the old creation and the new creation both in the universe and in the church, Christ occupies the first place, the place of preeminence. But to show that this is contrary to our fallen nature, there was a brother in a local church mentioned in 3 John that he rejected John and his ministry. Anyone who received John's ministry, he forced to leave the church because he loved to be first. I don't know if those of us that are approximately my age, if this happened in PE class or gym class when you were in elementary school. But I remember we're going to get a team, a baseball team or whatever it is, and so you have someone, two that are chosen to be a captain, and then you have all the other students sitting on the, on the floor, and then you take turns calling, and you always call the best, and you can just tell the last one has no choice, is always last. So some of us, you know, that's been our life. We're always last. Can I be first even one time? <laughs> but let me tell you how it works in God's economy. Christ is first. Then you may say, okay, I'll be second. 
Well, Revelation says he is the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega, so he's everything. A few days ago, someone wrote uh, an exceedingly vile and demonic email. I, I knew this kind of thing was coming because we're engaged. Right away, I, stopped, I didn't read it. I told my wife about it. We referred it to the Lord and we prayed. And so this person thought she was going to hurt me by saying, you are nothing. And I'd be glad to say, before you were born, I learned that I am nothing. I am nobody. Christ is everything. Christ is everyone. So it doesn't bother me. And so he, has, he will have the first place. And so the Lord will show us what is preeminent in your being? Who, who is it? What is it? Understandably, for a mother, husbands, you might as well accept this. Your wife loves you, but not the way she loves her children. Please accept that. For some, money's the center. Others, their health is the center. But we're all the same. So don't try to change the center. Just let Christ make his home in you. Experience him, enjoy him. He will adjust you at the core of your being. D, the all-inclusive, extensive Christ is the centrality and universality, the center and circumference of God's economy. We somewhat commented on this. E, in his economy, God wants Christ and Christ alone. The wonderful, preeminent, all-inclusive Christ who is all in all. And we have a reference <coughs> to Matthew 17. The Lord takes Peter, James, and John with him on the mountain. He's transfigured. His face is shining like the sun. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter says, I got a good idea. Let's make three tents. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And then a cloud came, and the father interrupted Peter again. Brother Nee points out, he was interrupted by Christ, he was interrupted by the Father, and he was interrupted by the Spirit. Now what's the Father? Saying, this is my Son, the Beloved. Hear Him. And then Moses and Elijah disappeared, and they saw Jesus only. Amen. Just before, or while we were singing one of our hymns, just inwardly, I was just touching briefly the reality of 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face,
beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord. This is what we have here. We just behold him. There's a, a hymn in Christian hymnals called Take Time to Be Holy. We change that to take time to behold him. And let me just insert something here. We all, we all, we all, with unveiled face, I wish we would do it just right now. Whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We behold the glory of the Lord. In chapter 4, we're told that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. This glorified Christ, the Lord of glory, right now is in your spirit. And based upon Christ as the reality of the offerings and his redeeming blood, you have the right to enter into the holy of holies of your mingled spirit and just look at him. Just, you just behold him. And he's infusing you with himself. So the chorus of that hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, Look full in his wonderful face, And the things of earth <coughs> lead him in the light of his glory and Yes, the things of earth, eventually, the things of self. There's just, you just behold the Lord. Even if you would do this for just 90 seconds, then more and more, you'll just want to behold him. In Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5, we're told concerning our eternal spiritual condition as the wife of the redeeming God. We will behold his face. And the light will be shining into us. Then the light will shine through us to rule the nations. F. This is a very important point in F here. God's intention in his economy is to work the wonderful, all-inclusive, extensive Christ into our being as our life and our everything that we might become, may become the corporate expression of the triune God. This is the essence of the Lord's recovery. God working the all-inclusive Christ into our being that we may express him personally and ultimately corporately. That's what's on his heart. To see his son expressed everywhere. Roman 2, the will of God is that the all-inclusive extensive Christ be our portion. 
When I was preparing to write an article on the will of God, I did quite a search, not exclusive, but I scanned the titles of hundreds of books on Amazon or on abooks.com. Book after book, scores of them, hundreds of them. God's will for your life. How to know God's will for your life. Everything focused on you. And a major theologian wrote a book that we're reviewing, still the same thought. But Revelation 4.11 tells us all things were created and now exist because of God's will. And God's will is what he wants. How about we turn and ask what God's will is for him? Then we read chapter 1, verse 9. Paul had not been to Colossae. He had never met any of the Colossians. As soon as he heard about their faith and their love, he started praying and he didn't stop that they would be filled with the full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then in chapter 12, chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, the one who brought the gospel to them, Paul said, he is struggling for you in his prayers, that you would stand and be fully assured in the will of God. So at the beginning and at the end of Colossians, we have reference to the will of God. But if we consider the content of Colossians, we can realize the will of God is that we experience and enjoy the Christ revealed in this epistle. Let me refresh our memory of Colossians 1.27. To whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's will is that Christ would have the preeminence and that he would have a group of people on the earth knowing him, loving him, experiencing him, enjoying him, and being constituted with him. One aspect of God's will for you today is that you would be happy in Jesus. Amen. Then you read Romans 12 and Ephesians, you'll see the other aspect, God's will, is to have the church, the body of Christ, becoming the bride of Christ. So this is what God wants. He doesn't want you trying to be better. He doesn't want you spending much of the little time you have alone with him, telling the Lord how bad you are, how bad you are. I was doing this one morning, trying to impress the Lord through self-analysis, saying this is bad, this is this, this is that, this is that. And he interrupted me. And he, and he said to me inwardly, why don't you tell me about myself? 
I wasn't responding to light. I was in religious self-analysis. Light is a different thing. Light is very specific. Right away you agree, you confess, and then you go on. So God's will for you. You may be a young, a young woman. I don't know what his will is for your occupation, for your marriage, but I know God's will is that you would experience Christ and enjoy him every day. A, in 1.9, God's will refers to Christ. The will of God is profound in relation to our knowing, experiencing, and living the all-inclusive Christ. God's will is that we know Christ, experience Christ, enjoy Christ, be saturated with Christ, and have Christ become our life and person. Now, if I said to you, which in effect I'm doing, there's a barrier in all of us. So, there's a barrier in you, this barrier was in me, that keeps us from knowing Christ. Would you like to know what that barrier is and would you like to have it removed so that you could know Christ? Well, Job was like this and God knew Job was like this. He was the most righteous person on the earth as far as human integrity is concerned. But at the end, when God appeared to him, this is what Job said, 42 verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent. The barrier is the self. It's not something outward. It's not what someone did. It's not what happened to you. It's you. So we'll see in message two, God has a unique way to remove the barrier. But the last thing self wants is to be removed so God has a way. And so when, he, when Job saw him, I heard about you. Understandably, we have heard about so many wonderful things ever since we came into the recovery, whenever it was. Profound things, books open to us, training after training. So we may say, I... We had heard about this, but we may not know this personally. And eventually, I believe what will happen in you is what happened in me and all other seekers. A deep hunger for reality emerges within you. You're not criticizing anyone or anything. 
You know there is this reality, but you also know I'm not touching it much. But I will not stop seeking. This is a very good sign. And then there will be the breakthrough. And we will just abhor the self. Lord, now I'm willing to deny it. I see what it is. I deny it. I don't go around denying yourself. I might be imprisoned. I can't deny someone else's self. I have to deny my own. Because in every situation, that's the barrier. It's me, the self, keeping me away from knowing Christ and experiencing Christ. But it's, it's going to be our increasing appreciation of Christ that will make us willing for the barrier to be touched. So if you can't do it right now, it's okay. The Lord knows where you are right now. Just receive grace, receive mercy, receive love, receive life. He knows the right time to take this step. Three, the all-inclusive, extensive Christ in us is our hope of glory. We worship the enthroned Christ in the heavens, but we experience and joy and partake of the indwelling Christ in our spirit. We are one with him in a very subjective way. <coughs> the Christ who indwells us is not a small, limited Christ, but the all-inclusive, extensive Christ, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the body, and the embodiment of the fullness of God. Such a Christ is in you. And the spirit of reality wants to guide you into the reality of the Christ who is in you. And allow me to make this reference again. Then the sister wives, you will not only see and appreciate Christ in this group of brothers, you will see and appreciate Christ in your own husband. You know all of his defects, all of his shortcomings. Your discernment is razor sharp. But now, you're going beyond that. You can realize something's happening in my husband. And I would say to the brothers, if you, and I believe you do, you really love your wife, then when you seek the Lord, you will seek the Lord for you and for her. She should be the first recipient, the first beneficiary. She's the most important person in your life. It should just overflow. And then, oh, couple after couple will be positively in 1 Peter 3. We're in harmony. Now we can pray in one accord. Our prayers are no longer hindered. Four, the all-inclusive extensive Christ is our life and the unique constituent of the new man, the one new man. We'll have a message on life. The expression, our life, is a strong indication that we are to experience 
the all-inclusive Christ, the one who is the reality of every positive thing. He's the real water. But I also need some of this. Because Christ is our life. All he has and all he has attained and obtained becomes subjective to us. This is when it's real. It's inside of you now. You're tasting it. You're touching it. You're seeing it. You're becoming it. See, the content of the church as the new man is Christ alone. In the new man, there is, only, there is room only for Christ. For he is everyone <coughs> and in everyone. So I hope you're not bothered by this. Because we live out, Romans 14, receiving all the believers. We don't question anybody. We're not divided by anything. So we can say, we welcome you. We receive you into our fellowship. There is no room for you here. <laughs> what do you mean? You just said, I'm welcome into this fellowship. That's right. But... Don't expect anything. There's nothing for you here. There's only Christ here. And Christ is all, but he's also in all. So we're still here. So I don't fully understand this. Christ is me. That implies me is not here, but then Christ is in me. And so this is our testimony. This is the way where Christ becomes the content of all of us and of the church. God's ultimate goal in his economy is to gain the new man constituted with the all-inclusive, extensive Christ. This is a corporate person <coughs> all over the earth. So when we were in Addis Ababa, for the Itero last fall. And in one of the messages, and again on the Lord's Day morning, I just released a burden that was in me. I said, you just watch now what God is going to do throughout the continent of Africa. There's going to be just a marvelous move in all but 55 countries. And what's going on in Ethiopia because we're for one new man. We care about the people in every part of the earth. Amen. We don't prefer one above the other, not one country, not one nation, not one race, not one social class. There's just one new man Amen. with all kinds of humans. Revelation mentions this. Out of the, every tribe and tongue and nation, they come. And we're going to see this. And the, the, uh, I just believe the Lord will save thousands in Africa. Amen. Thousands. Amen. Raise up scores of churches. 
And we should be as burdened for this as we're burdened for the country in which we live. Now the last section. We need to be infused, saturated, and permeated with the all-inclusive Christ until, in our experience, he is everything to us. The all-inclusive, extensive Christ is in us, but we need to see him, know him, be filled with him, be saturated with him, and be absolutely one with him. We should allow the all-inclusive, extensive Christ to fill our whole being and to replace our culture with himself. Don't first pray, Lord, replace his culture. (laughs) Replace that wild American culture. Okay, I'm there. I will say, amen, amen. There should be no Americans, no Californians in the one new man, but we all should be willing to have the culture in us replaced so Christ himself is there. So we should allow this. This means you'll determine by your will how much this will happen. The more Christ replaces our natural life and culture with himself, the more we will be able to declare to live as Christ. To us to live will be the Christ who takes full possession of us, replaces us, and fills us with himself. The all-inclusive, extensive Christ desires to replace every element of our natural life and culture with himself so that we may be the one new man as his corporate expression. This is the message of the book of Colossians. I think now we should take about a minute to pray with someone nearby. If you feel awkward doing this, then just sit quietly for a minute because we're going to make quite a bit of noise as we all talk to the Lord together. Then the brothers will direct on how you can complete the message. Please, we need your portion, okay? So let's pray and then prophesy.